Now this evening, uh, we're coming to something that is, for me, a bit of a problem, and that is that the Bible reading, if we were to take it all, would be from Genesis 37 through Genesis 45. Well, obviously, we're not going to read all of that material this evening because there wouldn't be time for much else. But I think it would be well for us to read some portions of that lengthy passage. And so we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. We're going to deal with more of this chapter than what we're going to read now. But let us just read uh, from verse 31 through verse 35 in chapter 37. If you know your chapter content, you know that chapter 37 is the beginning of the section that deals with the life of Joseph. So beginning at verse 31, we read, And they, that is the sons of Jacob minus Benjamin, they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now let us turn a few pages over to chapter 42, chapter 42 and verse 8. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them, and said unto them, Ye are spies, to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food are thy servants come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are no spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. And they said, The servants, thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan, and behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, That is it that I spake unto you, saying, Ye are spies. Hereby ye shall be proved, 
By the life of Pharaoh, ye shall not go forth hence, except your youngest brother come hither. Send one of you, and let him fetch your brother, and ye shall be kept in prison, that your words may be proved, whether they be any truth in you, whether there be any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely ye are spies. And he put them all together into ward three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, This do and live, for I fear God. If ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter. Now let us skip to verse 29 in this same chapter. And they came unto Jacob their father, unto the land of Canaan, and told him all that befell unto them, saying, The man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly to us, and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men. We are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father. One is not, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone, and bring your youngest brother unto me. Then shall I know that ye are no spies, but that ye are true men. So will I deliver you your brother, and ye shall traffic in the land. And it came to pass, as they emptied their sacks, that, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me ye have bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. Now to chapter 43 and verse 26. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom ye spake, is he yet alive? And they answered, Thy servant, our father, is in good health. He is yet alive. 
And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom ye spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he sought where to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, Set on bread. And they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians." And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled one at another. Now chapter 44 and verse 18. Then Judah came near unto him and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidst unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidst unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. And it came to pass, when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then will we go down. For we may not see the man's face except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me, and mischief shall befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass, when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad 
a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. Now to chapter 45, verse 3. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And then to verse 26. Verse 25 we read, And they went up out of Egypt, and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. Amen. We'll end our reading there. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of these various portions of his precious word for his name's sake. The law of unintended consequences operated in the lives of Jacob and his descendants. To explain the absence of Joseph, Ten of Jacob's sons conceived a brutal scenario. When they cast Joseph into the pit and then sold him to the slave traders that were going down to Egypt, they took Joseph's coat of many colors, the gift of Jacob, for which his brothers despised him, and dipped it in the blood of an animal they slaughtered. Then they presented it to Jacob as proof that Joseph was dead. The unintended consequence was that they could not console Jacob in his grief. Even though the sons knew that their story was not true. From that situation developed a series of other unintended consequences. They led to other foolish decisions. Jacob and his sons drifted from the truth of divine revelation and committed themselves to a set of faulty assumptions. By God's mercy, and only by God's mercy, the one they came to believe was dead became the instrument of their deliverance. And, of course, in that, Joseph is a type of Christ because the one who was dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, became the instrument of the deliverance of his people. Israel in Egypt became a type of Christ. For the prophet Hosea referred to God calling his son Israel out of Egypt. Let us turn to the prophecy of Hosea. Prophecy of Hosea chapter 
11. If you go all the way to the other end of the Old Testament, Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. So, here is the application. When Israel was in Egypt, God called Israel out of Egypt. But there is, beyond the historic application, there is another application which we find in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2, Verse 14, here is the Joseph who was the husband of Mary. We read of him in verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. So the prophecy in Hosea 11 obviously is a reference to Messiah. To accomplish the purpose of God, God preserved Joseph's life in Egypt. And we, we've really a passed over all that happened to Joseph because it's not really germane to this message. But God preserved Joseph's life in Egypt and opened the way for Joseph's family to find sustenance and deliverance in Egypt. These passages that we have read, however, warn us against the folly of making assumptions that spring from the emotions instead of from the facts. When Jacob and his sons drifted away from the revelation that they knew to be true, the promise of the coming Messiah, they were in confusion. So it always is. If we drift away from God's revelation, we're in confusion. So their experience warns us against reaching any conclusions on any subject that do not rise from the word of God. These incidents that we have read highlight the division between our opinions and God's immutable wisdom. They set before us the theme of what we think versus what God knows. What we think versus what God knows. You see, neither Jacob nor his sons could use the excuse that they did not know God's truth. Let us remember that Jacob's earlier life featured dramatic meetings between him and Jehovah. He experienced the intervention of the Lord in his life. And he conveyed that truth to his sons. The promise 
of the coming Redeemer. But carnality, and Jacob's sons were a carnal lot in so many ways, carnality led them to conclusions that were apart from godliness. So let's look tonight at the incidents in the biblical record that we have read and learn the lessons of false assumptions. And I want to just take four ideas that rise out of what we have read and consider those in this light. First of all, assuming the worst. And here we go back to Genesis chapter 37. We did not read uh, except for a small portion of that chapter, but if you were to read beginning at verse 18, you will see that when the brothers saw Joseph afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. So that was their intention. They were going to kill him. He was the dreamer. He was the one who who, uh, told them of the dreams that God gave him. So they said in verse 20, Come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. Here Here was the outline of their plan. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. They hated his dreams because his dreams were the revelation of God's truth, and those dreams all came true. Reuben, the oldest of Jacob's sons, who was not really an exemplary character, he delivered Joseph out of their hands and said, let's not kill him, let's not shed blood. And so they cast him into a pit and Reuben went away then to try to arrange for his release. But in the meantime, the other brothers sold Joseph to the slave traders that were going down to Egypt. And Judah said then to them in verse 26, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. That hadn't mattered not too long before. And his brethren were content. So we read in verse 28 of the transaction. They drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Again, another link to the Lord Jesus Christ. Reuben returned unto the pit in verse 29. Behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not And I, whither shall I go? Let's remember that expression he used, the child is not. The child was 17 years old at this time. So it wasn't exactly a little toddler. But the child is not. And I, whither shall I go? Then we read of what they did. Now the story is familiar to those who have any acquaintance with the Bible. Joseph's brothers decided, after all, they wouldn't kill Joseph. They 
probably figured that if they sold him into slavery, somebody else would kill him. But they knew the truth, that when they last saw their brother, he was alive. He was going with the slave traders down to Egypt. So to cover up that deed, the sale of Joseph to the slave traders, the brothers concocted this elaborate ruse that featured the use of Joseph's coat of many colors. The language suggests that when they dipped the garment in the blood, they soaked it in the blood. That is, they wanted anyone who saw it to conclude this was the result of an attack by an animal. And then they pretended, and here's another lie in what they said to their father, they pretended that they just happened upon it out in the field. They said, this have we found in verse 32. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. We have found it. They didn't find it at all. They took it off, Joseph, and did this material, did this with it. Now, when we look at their presentation to Jacob, we find that Jacob recognized the coat right away. He knew it. He said, that's my son's coat. That's the coat I gave him. And then he jumped to the conclusion that the brothers connived to generate. For Jacob said, an evil beast hath devoured him. That was his conclusion. He is no doubt, Joseph is without doubt, rent in pieces. He assumed that Joseph was dead. He was sure of it. He could envision Joseph's body lying somewhere in the field, torn to pieces by a wild animal. Now, apart from everything else in the situation, we have to say in chapter 37 that the behavior of the brothers and sisters of Joseph ranks as hard-hearted. For they were trying to console him in his grief, and they knew that things had not happened as they had presented. They knew the truth that Joseph was alive when they last saw him. But Jacob, we read, was beyond comfort. His favorite son, the older son of the late Rachel, was gone. Striking, and one of the portions we read, he refers to his wife bearing him two sons. Jacob had another wife, of course, who bare him six sons. But he speaks of Rachel because she was his favorite Joseph was gone. Jacob assumed the worst. He's torn to bits. He didn't inquire about any other possibilities. But let's not be hard on Jacob. Because we can compose a catalog of assumptions that we have made in our lives. Assumptions of the worst without seeking any explanation 
without trying to see the hand of God in what was going on. We are adept at assuming the worst. That's what Jacob did. He assumed the worst. But the next incident that we consider presents the danger of such assumptions because they take on a life of their own. And so we come secondly this evening to believing the lie. Believing the lie. And that takes us to chapter 42. We read a sizable portion of chapter 42, but we can begin at verse 5, where we read of Joseph's brothers, now minus Benjamin, he was not with them on this first visit to Egypt, Joseph's brothers, the sons of Israel, came to buy corn among those that came. For the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, just for the sake of a time frame, let us remember that Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery in Egypt, and he was 30 years of age when he came to stand before Pharaoh. So that's 13 years right there. Then remember the dreams that Pharaoh had. And the interpretation of the dreams was that there would be seven years of plenty in the land, followed by seven years of want. So at the very least, we can say there were at least 20 years, probably more like 24 years or so, from the time that Joseph disappeared until the time that these events took place in chapter 42. We read here in verse 6 that Joseph was the governor over the land. He had become a power. He was second only to Pharaoh, prefiguring, I suppose, that which Daniel would represent in a much later period. Joseph was the governor, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them. They did not know him, but he knew them. And he made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them, And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. They had no idea that they were in the presence of Joseph. His appearance changed dramatically. He was an Egyptian. He wore the garb of an Egyptian. Wore the uh, He was clean-shaven as the Egyptians were. He wore the makeup that the Egyptians wore. So his brothers did not recognize him, but he recognized them. And he remembered the dreams for which they hated him. Now here they were, bowing down before him. 
Now, when Joseph challenged their integrity, when he said, as we read, that you're spies, you've come to spy out the land, they resorted to explaining who they were and who their father was. And we read in verse 13 of chapter 42 that they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. Remember Reuben's words, the child is not. Here they come again. One is not. So what they showed was that the story they connived at, which Jacob was only too willing to assume was true, they came to believe it. They came to believe that Joseph was not, that Joseph was dead. Here's another danger of making assumptions. When you don't have the facts, you tend to develop the view that what you assume is the fact. The brothers believed that Joseph was dead and their story was consistent as we read in the various passages. They did not see him for many years and they adopted the view at some point that what they told Jacob had befallen Joseph sometime, whether it was shortly after they lost sight of him or whether it was in Egypt. They assumed what Jacob assumed. They believed the lie. And the worst part of that belief in the lie appears in the section of chapter 42 that we also read when they went back home and reported to Jacob about what happened to them. Because we read in that portion that they rehearsed the same lie. Beginning in verse 29. Notice especially the words of verse 32. We be twelve brethren... Sons of our father, one is not, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. One is not. Here they said to him, this is what we told the man in Egypt. And this was the narrative that Jacob had believed for years. It was the same lie. And when Jacob heard their report and what the condition was to get more food, he jumped to another assumption. He said in verse 36, all these things are against me. He thought everything was against him. Joseph was dead. Simeon was in prison in Egypt. Now they wanted to take Benjamin away from him. All these things are against me. You see, these false assumptions that Jacob made lead to the conclusion that there is no way out of the situation. He had lost sight of that which God had revealed. 
And he thought he couldn't take anything else. Believing the lie. But now let us come to the third aspect of this narrative. Declaring the deception as true. We read in verse chapter 43 and in chapter 44. And we don't have time to go over all the details, all that happened in these two chapters. But it was the second time the brothers went to Egypt. Finally, Jacob relented. He said, if I'm bereft of my children, I'm bereft. In other words, he had become a fatalist. All that he could care about at this point was the deliverance of his family from the famine. So they needed food. They had no food. And the second journey that the brothers made to Egypt underscored the commitment that they had to the narrative on which they relied. So in chapter 43, the initial interview with the brothers underscored that commitment. The brothers, including Benjamin, who is now with them, assumed, believed that Joseph was dead, even though he was there right before them. But it was in the climactic meeting you remember what happened that Joseph sent the men away with the food that they desired and then he directed his servant to put his cup, his silver cup, in Benjamin's sack. So they put all the money and he let them go and then he instructed his servant to go after them and they found out that the cup of the next in line to Pharaoh was in Benjamin's sack. So then there was a set, another meeting with Joseph. And the brothers had to defend themselves against the charge that they had stolen Joseph's cup. And we find that another brother perpetuated the deception and proclaimed it as true. Look at chapter 44. And verse 20, we said unto my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one. Notice then, his brother is dead. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. So Judah said plainly, here was Judah, saying plainly, Benjamin's brother was dead. They had no way of knowing whether he was dead. But here's the power of assuming the worst. They believed that it was so. Judah even related what Jacob said years before. We read that in this same passage. We said unto my Lord in verse 22, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. 
Further down in the chapter, verse 27, Thy servant my father said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare me two sons, and the one went out from me, that's Joseph, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. So Judah related that which took place maybe 24, 25 years before. And privately, as we read, the brothers had some conscience that they had done wrong. In cha- back in chapter 42 and verse 21, they said one to another, notice this, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. But this was not the sorrow that works repentance. We are verily guilty. But no one said, let us just admit what we did. No one said that. We are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul. He pleaded with them not to sell him into slavery. When he besought us, and we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear? Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. So they had some conscience that what they did all those years before was wrong. But they had lived with it so long, it was now reality. In the interview in chapter 44, Judah for his brothers asserted the deception is true. This is what Jacob said. Joseph is dead. And in the mental gymnastics through which Joseph's brothers went, none of the people involved except for Joseph remembered the historic prophecy of the coming of Christ and that he would come through the line of Israel, and specifically through Judah's line. Only as Jacob's line survived, and Judah specifically would the Redeemer enter the world. That was God's revelation, but we read nothing of it here. So it does matter what we assume to be so. But in spite of it all, God's mercy spared them. And that brings me to the last thing, and there's so much more we could say, but we're going to come to the last thing this evening, submitting to the evidence. Now we're coming to chapter 45. And in the third verse of chapter 45... The fabrication of all those years came crashing to pieces. Joseph told them his identity. I am Joseph. Now I think when we read what the reaction was, we find that his brethren could not answer him. It was like they had been knocked over. 
Here was this man, this Egyptian, telling them, I am Joseph. Does my father live? Dismay overtook them. This is Joseph. Later on, in a portion that we have not read, but later on in chapter 50, after the death of Jacob and his burial, the brothers, thinking that Joseph still harbored vengeance against them, said another lie. Jacob said to us to tell you not to hold it against them that they had done these things. Here dismay overtook them. Think of it, the narrative (laughs) that they had nurtured for more than 20 years collapsed before their eyes. All the people they had said, Joseph is dead. Now there he was before them. How is it possible? Joseph's faith in God was in evidence here. He knew, he knew that God's purpose lay behind all that befell him. He said it a number of times to his brothers. You intended it for evil, but God meant it for good. So eventually the brothers had to accept the reality that God exposed their assumptions that had become their lives and the assumptions of their father. So in chapter 45, they were sent by Joseph to go back to their father, back home, and to tell him, that Joseph was still alive. And we read in chapter 45, near the end of that chapter, in verse 26, they told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. How could he believe them? When they told him, Joseph was yet alive. For over 20 years, they had all been living in the false assumption that Joseph was not. And Jacob found it hard to give it up. He fainted. He was an old man. Hard to give up the thing that has governed your thinking for all those years. But we read in verse 26, in verse 27, They told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Now for the first time in over 20 years, here was something hard and fast. The wagons. The the sons of Israel had no such wagons. These wagons came from Joseph. They came from Egypt. And when Jacob saw the wagons, the promises of God's revelation from which he had drifted flooded back into his soul. 
God was not going to allow his promises to perish. And so Jacob said he would leave all that he knew of his life in Canaan. And he would go to Egypt to see his long lost son. These incidents that we've considered this evening, and as I said, there are others as well, are a revelation of the way we tend to think. We tend to think in terms of emotion instead of wanting to know what God has said, what the facts are. But these incidents remind us that what we think must be according to what God has revealed. And only as we govern our thinking according to what God has revealed, will we find ourselves delivered from living in the atmosphere of lies. Some of the lies we invent ourselves. But eventually, Jacob saw the wagons. May those wagons in our mind remind us that the Lord Jesus is going to come for all his people. That he will not fail in these days so that what we think will be according to what God knows. Let us bow together in prayer. Our Father and our God, we rejoice again tonight in the revelation of thy word. And for all that we have considered, we have to confess that we are so often like Jacob. We are assuming the worst. Something happens and we conclude right away that it will be a terrible outcome. Father, we pray tonight that thou would help us to rest in what thou dost know, in thy revelation. We pray that thy word will be a source of comfort and encouragement to us this evening. And we pray that thou would make it a cause for us to seek after thee, to seek after the truth. Hear our cry, we pray, and write thy word upon our hearts, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen.